It's Monday, January 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Supernova, David Kretzman, back from Las Vegas. Welcome back. Survived the trip, made it back. <laughs> so, we're going to talk about what you saw at the zoo. And in this case, yeah. the zoo is the Consumer Electronics Show. I should say right at the outset that uh, you're in high demand here at, at Motley Fool Podcast Central because you're going to be on Industry Focus on Wednesday, talking with Christine Hargis. That's the healthcare edition of Industry Focus. So, for the purposes of of this conversation, we won't talk about wearables, but there's a lot of other stuff I want to get to. And let's start first and foremost with Netflix making headlines last week, not just rolling out some new shows, but 190 countries. Yeah, big news already. Netflix stole the show. How did they do this? I mean, yeah, they they were really ramping up their international expansion. I mean, you go back to like the middle of 2015. Uh, Reed Hastings and and company there, they had basically announced that their aggressive international expansion trajectory would look like them entering a total of 200 countries essentially by the start of 2017. And uh, dur- during the- Netflix knows how to put on a show, so during uh, you know their keynote address Wednesday morning at CES, uh, to wrap that up, Reed Hastings says, "And now we're turned on in 130 more countries." So that that brings Netflix to 190 countries as of this week. So uh, certainly accelerating their international expansion more than I think anyone would have expected. This is a company you know well. You're there with Matt Argusinger, Brendan Matthews. This is. A room full of a room full of people who are, I'm assuming, are not easily wowed. People who are used to listening to company executives talk. Mm-hmm. Was this a jaw dropping moment? Like I, I just imagine you guys. I mean, were you guys stunned when he said that? I know we were, and I think from. I, with the Motley Fool, we have a unique perspective from most people there in terms of the press and the other um, analysts who are there because we're looking at it from an investing perspective. So, uh, certainly for us, it was a jaw dropping moment. I think all of us were pretty stunned. Like, wow, this is this is a big moment for for Netflix and for the entertainment industry because Netflix is now in a position that no other company is in, especially. Because because you have to remember, at the same time that Netflix is expanding internationally, they're also rolling out. Their original programming, their original content. So now Netflix can do something that no one else on the planet, in terms of in the media space, can do. Because as soon as they release, you know, an original show like season four of House of Cards in March, it's going to be available around the world uh, instantaneously at the same time. So there's not going to be with their original content. There's not going to be any of this. Is like, well, it'll be available in the U.S. in March. It'll be available in Australia in July. It'll be available in New Zealand next year. It'll all be available at the same time. So, just something as seemingly simple as that, I think, is actually pretty revolutionary for the space. So, it'll, it'll, it, this announcement really changes a lot for Netflix and the industry as a whole. And I think we've talked about this before. One of the things that's easy to miss with Netflix, and I don't think Netflix is alone in this regard, but I think they are the leader in this regard. And it is the data that they have access to being able to analyze. What their viewers are doing, what they're watching, not just so that they can serve up additional programming and say, oh, well, if you like this, then here are five other shows or movies you might like along those same lines, but even going so far as to be able to use that data to plan launches. I was listening to an interview recently with Bill Burr, who's a stand up comedian I like mm-hmm. a great deal, and he has a new 
animated series on Netflix called F is for Family. And one of the things he talked about in, the, in uh, this interview I was listening to was not just the guidance that he got from Netflix in terms of how to shape the show, because I had just assumed Netflix was good at identifying people, and others are good at this as well. I think uh, John Langraff at FX is very good at this. I think HBO is certainly very good at this, at identifying creative people and saying, we want to work with you. What is your creative vision for a show or a movie, etc.? But beyond that, he talked about how Netflix provided a great deal of guidance in shaping the show in terms of story ideas, in terms of what direction they wanted him to really push it in, but also in terms of, here's when we want to launch this show. Mm-hmm. I know you're thinking of maybe doing it early in the year. We think it's going to set up really nicely for you if we do. And they and they have the data to back it up. Yeah, Netflix is really just mastering all all the different angles here. They're mastering the storytelling angle, working with uh, the storytellers, the creators, the producers. Then, I mean, the distribution and, and that timing angle, and, and especially now that they're available, I mean, essentially worldwide, and a few countries like China and North Korea, they're still not in. Uh, that that puts Netflix in a powerful position, and I think it also gives them an advantage. If you are, you know, a, a storyteller, a producer, you're going to want to work with Netflix because uh, they they have, as you mentioned, that data. They have a, a global distribution platform, unlike no no one else in the world comes close to what Netflix has now. That that Netflix is available worldwide. So, naturally, if you're a storyteller, you're going to want to work with Netflix, especially if you have an idea for, you know, a TV show or mini miniseries, especially compared to traditional broadcasting, where you know, if you're a producer, you get one pilot. And you, you test the pilot. It's one on one night. You see how that works, and that determines whether or not you you have a show or it gets nixed. With Netflix, you have the uh, storytelling and creative flexibility to have you know a ten episode story arc, which is also unique, and it's released all at once worldwide. So, if you're a storyteller, a content creator, you know that's it's a Netflix has a really solid value proposition. So I think they're just going to keep continuing to to attract talent to them. One more question on Netflix, and then we'll move on, because I know there was a lot of other stuff at CES. There was a press availability with Reed Hastings and his team. You got a chance to ask him a question. What'd you ask, and what was his reaction? I so Reed Hastings, you can tell that he 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 knows he's a big shot now, and he he's in high demand. So not his first rodeo. Yeah, yeah, and and he I I think he. Would prefer Wall Street doesn't <laughs> engage with the company so much, or you know, get in the company's way. He just wants to do his thing. Uh, so you I know just, what? If, if he feels that strongly, he should take his company private. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, a he, solution he still that. has to deal with us, you know. Um, yeah. So my question was just the the company has obviously accelerated their international expansion. Like that, no one expected this announcement to come now. Like the, as I mentioned before, their aggressive plan was to have to be at this level. By the end of 2016 or the start of 2017, so I just asked, you know, does that accelerated international expansion does that change the company's trajectory in terms of breaking even internationally? Does it change our financial guidance at all? And you could tell he he wasn't very enamored with the the question. He was like, no, it doesn't change our financial guidance. That was it, no color or anything. So he he wasn't a huge fan of the question, but I think you know it, it was still a question worth asking, especially from the investing perspective, because the company's rolling out a lot faster than anyone anticipated internationally. But at this point, it doesn't look like um, that changes their financial guidance at all. But to, to me, that's why, and this is just me, but to me, that's the number one reason to listen to a company's conference call. Yeah. Yes, you sometimes get more information, but just 
getting a sense of how do the executives react to questions, particularly when times aren't going well. Not that that's the case with Netflix right mm-hmm. now, but I, I'm always curious to see how they react. Yeah. Let's move on to YouTube. Uh, Robert Kinsel, who's the chief business officer from YouTube, gave a keynote address. Not a lot of news out of it, but a little bit of a surprise that at one point joining him was, uh, on the stage was uh, was Nick Woodman, who's the founder and CEO of GoPro. Yeah, definitely weren't we weren't expecting that, and yeah, like you mentioned, like YouTube had a lot to follow. You know, th- this keynote was a day after Netflix essentially stole the show. I think, and I think Netflix is the highlight of CES. So. We we were hoping to I think get a little bit more from YouTube, uh, you know, like some sort of announcement maybe with YouTube Red, you know, maybe some original programming or content, something like that. But uh, really, Robert Kinsel, his first the first part of his um, keynote was really just talking about digital video grabbing hold, how you know, kind of cable TV and traditional TV has kind of peaked in 2009 and has since kind of dropping down as people are spending more and more time watching video on other mobile devices. And I feel like we all already knew that, but yeah, as you mentioned, there was kind of a surprise when uh, Nick Woodman, GoPro founder and CEO, came up on the stage, and uh, th- this is really kind of coinciding with um, Kinsel talking about YouTube's um, venturing into virtual reality programming. So this is 360 degree video where you can essentially have a full 360 degree panorama of any um, video that you're watching. So you can. Do this on you know uh, a virtual reality device like the Oculus or Google Cardboard, or even if you're just on a, a desktop or a laptop, you know you can uh, kind of scroll around the video and you get really unique perspectives. You can get that full 360 degree perspective. So Nick Woodman was out there talking about how GoPro fits into that. Um, GoPro partnered with Google in, earlier in 2015 with um, the GoPro Odyssey, which is actually a 16 camera array. So it's like 16 GoPro cameras that capture that full 360 degree perspective, um, and now uh, w- what I think is re- most relevant to to GoPro shareholders is um, Woodman mentioned that um, at some point this year they're going to come out with a consumer virtual reality device. So obviously that 16 camera array, you know, that's more than ten thousand dollars, but they'll hopefully sometime this year, according to Woodman, uh, they'll come out with more affordable kind of mass market consumer virtual reality device to capture that unique perspective. So, YouTube is very focused on virtual reality, and it sounds like GoPro is a pretty key partner to enabling that sort of content. So, I know uh, our colleague, Brennan Matthews, who is also out there, he's one of my fellow analysts on in Motley Fool Supernova, he, he speculated on Twitter, you know, wouldn't be, he wouldn't be surprised if Google bought GoPro because you, you can kind of tell you know there's some sort of love fest going on there you know they they and they they both have similar visions you know uh, YouTube wants to be a platform uh, for all sorts of video and especially this emerging virtual reality medium and GoPro is a key player in enabling that sort of content so it wouldn't be surprised certainly we wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of partnership between the companies and GoPro is trading at a bigger and bigger discount every day, and yeah. Google has an enormous cash hoard. So you wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising if you saw GoPro get snapped up by Google at some point. That was going to be my Alphabet. next question: Was yeah. do, do, at, at any point do you think when it was just the two of them backstage alone, Nick Woodman just leaned over to Kinsel and whispered, "Please buy us." <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you wonder because, I mean, Woodman he's always, he's a very charismatic CEO, and uh, maybe it, 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 that could be a fault of mine for getting kind of enamored from. His vision for the company because he's a very inspiring speaker, but man, GoPro shares have just been clobbered over the past year plus year or so. Uh, so yeah, you you got to wonder like, man, is 
Alphabet or Google making you know an offer to women is that kind of the saving grace for the company at this point? It's tough to say because women he still owns thirty percent of GoPro. So whether or not you know I, this is definitely his baby, and so far up to this point he has been really clear that he has long term vision for GoPro. So whether or not he wants to sell out, it'll remain to. Seen. You mentioned virtual reality. Simon Erickson was on the show last week. One of the things we talked about was the launch of Oculus Rift devices being available for the low, low price of $600 a pop. Very modest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think you went to uh, an Oculus Rift uh, breakout session of some sort. Was that discussed at all? Were there any questions about that? Uh, any guidance given on here's how many we think we can sell in the first year? Uh, there, we we did go to a session. It was actually with uh, Mary Lou Jepson, who is who she is the head of engineering at Oculus and Facebook, and she was formerly kind of the one of the creators of Google X. So th- this is someone she's very prominent in the engineering space and really kind of at the forefront of developing virtual reality devices like Oculus. Uh, her main angle, it was actually an interesting one. She's also been really involved in the um, kind of charitable initiative, One Laptop Per Child. And she was mentioning kind of, you know, the, the storyline there where, you know, their, their challenge there was to deliver, you know, affordable computing devices like a laptop to developing countries, you know, like, like in Africa and other places in the world that don't have that sort of technology. But, at first, you have the cost barrier, but then they're able to um, invest in screens and things like that, and really bring the cost down. And then you're able to have essentially $100 laptops, and they've delivered millions of laptops around the world. Now it's been a very successful charitable initiative. So she kind of brought that over to virtual reality, where you know at first you have like a high price, you have that price barrier, but now they've been able to get it down to that $600 price point, and they'll continue to invest in in, in the screen, the sensors, all the things that go into that device. And she did mention that uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, founder and CEO of Facebook, he he wants every Facebook user eventually to be on virtual reality. So, looking out over the next five to ten years, you have someone like Mark Zuckerberg who wants essentially everyone in the world to have one of these devices. So she was kind of coming at it from that angle. Didn't give too many specifics as to you know what what their goal is in terms of how many devices they sell this year. Obviously, it's the first. Launch of like kind of that mass market virtual reality device. I think with virtual reality, I I go back and forth on this because I I think it's it's similar to what we're seeing with 4K TVs, where you have the device, but then you also need the content. So it's sort of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg. So right now, other than Netflix and a few other areas, there's limited 4K content. I think you might run into similar issues with uh, virtual reality. It's like you need people to develop that content, whether it's uh, video games, uh, movies, other sorts of videos. So we're still starting small, but I think looking out over the next three to five years, you're definitely going to see virtual reality grab hold in some shape or form. Last time you were here, we were talking about how a couple of years ago, Matt Argersinger went to CES and was struck by how many 3D printing companies there were. and, And he just sort of shook his head and thought, this is this is not going to end well for the vast majority of these companies. Yep. And there weren't many this year. <laughs> so what's what's this year's version of 3D printing? What was the what was the tech that you looked at this year at CES and thought, this is this is a lot of hype and and it's not going anywhere immediately. 
Yeah, well, I'll back up a little bit on this because hopefully people who are listening to Market Foolery, they also know and perhaps listen to Rule Breaker Investing with Fool co founder and Supernova chairman David Gardner. Um, I think in October he had an episode where he was talking, he spent a week talking about um, the hype cycle and kind of looking at, you know, uh, companies that have like the peak of inflated expectations, then they eventually. You know that that's a stage where everyone is enamored with the tech, the trend. Then eventually, reality sets in. It goes into the trough of disillusionment. And and he sort of he gave 3D printing as an example. You know, from a couple years ago, where at first everyone's like, yeah, we're gonna have a 3D printer in every home. Everyone's gonna be using this because then change everything, every industry. And then eventually it sets in. It's like, no, this is actually a pretty small market. Not a whole lot of realistic applications today, um, especially in the consumer space. And in that episode, he mentioned um, that self-driving cars might be in a similar position today that 3D printing was a couple years ago. And after being at CES, that's what I kind of leaned towards. David was absolutely (laughs) right. And yeah, I can see where he's coming from because it's like, man, it seems like just about every booth, and you know, that's a slight exaggeration, but the vast majority of booths and exhibits there, every company wanted a piece of connected cars, self-driving cars, autonomous vehicles. And you just have to wonder. It's like certainly you can see the world is heading that direction, but it's not going to happen overnight because you have to give people time. You have to give consumers time to buy a new vehicle. That's not going to happen fast. You have to give time for the the technology to improve, for the sensors to improve, to get into enough vehicles where it's actually realistic to have a lot of self driving cars on the road and eliminating car ownership. So. Certainly, yeah, I, I can see the world headed that direction. But man, I mean, every like auto manufacturer there, every sensor company there, the the one thing they con- continuously plugged was somehow their involvement and uh, their connection to connected cars, self driving vehicles, autonomous vehicles. I sort of wonder if you know that self driving cars might be in the same position today that three D printing was a couple years ago. Where certainly there's relevant uses for the technology, but I think it's going to be a lot further out than people are anticipating right now. Well, and a week ago today, Jason Moser, Taylor Ruckerman, and I were talking about news from the auto industry. General Motors investing half a billion dollars in Lyft, and one of the things I mentioned was that later. In the week at CES, Ford Motor was expected to announce a joint venture with Google, mm-hmm. and those were the reports, and that didn't happen. So at some point, either <laughs> yeah. Google walked away, Ford Motor walked away, maybe they both walked away. But to dovetail on what you were saying, it's 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 not just investors and consumers; it's also clearly companies who are looking at this and saying, "Okay, this is this is maybe a." Uh, a future bet we want to make. Mm-hmm. We want to invest in this, but we, but there's no rush. Yeah, and I think you have to remember companies were doing the same thing with 3D printing a couple of years ago, and that didn't make it a smart decision. Like you have Stratasys and 3D 3D Systems writing off a lot of their acquisitions, essentially admitting one or two years later that they tremendously overpaid for a lot of these different companies that they were snapping up. And I think we have to be careful with. Uh, Getting too enamored with with self driving cars, like certainly I I love the technology, I love the direction. It could potentially save a lot of lives and really make the world a much more efficient and better place to be. But you have to you have to keep it in perspective that this is not going to happen within a year or two. This is this is an industry that's in a trend that's going to you know emerge and take place and grab hold over ten plus years. Before we wrap up, you work on our Rule Breaker Investing service. You also work on our Supernova service, which 
is going to be opening up to new members in a short amount of time. For those unfamiliar, um, you're actually going to be heading up the new portfolio. Yeah, Odyssey too are really excited about this. For people who aren't familiar, Supernova as a service launched about four years ago. This is really David Gardner's service. So uh, we're we're building real money portfolios out of the approximately 200 or so stocks that David Gardner has recommended over the past 12 years in Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers. Um, so we're building real money portfolios. This is giving people um, direct advice and a model to follow as far as like portfolio allocation. So why are we putting 3% of the portfolio in Google and 1% in XP semiconductors or certain things like that? So rather than just getting the recommendations each month, which which is what we do in in Rule Breakers and and Stock Advisor with Supernova, you're getting that real money portfolio. You're getting portfolio allocation guidance, so it gives you kind of another perspective that that's what you're looking for as an investor. And with Odyssey too, we're geared toward um, wage earning investors. So th- this is a portfolio we're starting with a base of twenty five thousand dollars, and uh, we'll be adding new money to the portfolio. Uh, every two weeks. So this is uh, an ideal portfolio for someone who has a relatively smaller uh, base of capital to to start with, and might be able to add money on a biweekly or monthly basis. So if that sounds like something that might be, you know, kind of in your wheelhouse today or fits your situation today. Definitely give us a look. Uh, there's a microsite with more information, including a bunch of uh, short videos with David Kretzman, David Gardner, Matt Argusinger. Uh, not only talking about investing, but individual companies in energy, in biotech, consumer tech, restaurants. It's a, a lot of a lot of great information. Just go to supernovaradio.fool.com. That's supernovaradio.fool.com. I'll put the URL in the description of this podcast. But uh, a lot of great info and uh, opening up very soon. So, so check it out, David Kretzman. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate glad, it. Glad you made it back safe and sound. <laughs> Survived the, we the ran, trek. We ran out of time before we could talk about how you were partying like a rock star in Las Vegas at nighttime. But we'll save that for another episode. Another episode. <laughs> <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. To David Jones, thank you for everything. And rest in peace. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
hit some slash and talk. Wow. 